Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Tyler and Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. If you want to learn more about us, you can check out our website at tbcmilledgeville.com. Thanks for tuning in. Amen. Y'all give it up for them, man. Not just for them, but guys, how great of a joy it is. We get to sing biblical truth as we enter into worship of our God. Not songs that make us feel something, not songs that evoke soul emotion, but guys, songs that call to mind the truth that we are alive in Christ. Amen? Amen. Y'all got to be vocal with me this morning. All right? And if you can't say amen, I know Rich will say amen for me, and I'll amen myself, because we are going to dive in deep this morning as we continue our series on what the church is, and if you're a freshman, if you're somebody trying to plug into a church, who we are as the Branch Church Milledgeville. So last week, Kyle got to talk more about that, defining what a healthy church looks like, and this morning we'll be discussing what the church being on mission looks like. So if you're Looking where to turn with me, we'll be in Matthew 22. Our verses we'll be finding a home in this morning is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. It's Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. So guys, as we get going here, we're going to ask ourselves this overarching question, and it's going to be on the screen. It's what's your motivation for mission. What is your motivation for mission? It's really easy to come together as the church and, and call to mind the Great Commission, call to mind the call to make disciples, and we know this. We know this in our minds, but what motivation springs up from your heart? As we set out to do this, what is your motivation for mission? This is something that the church is called to. It's not called to be a place or a people that simply sits still and marinate on the truth of the Lord. We're called to take it as we go. So it's very important that as we seek the call and mission, it must be done in unity, in perfect unity. As Kyle talked about last week, this is unity not just in a core set of beliefs, but in our doctrine, in our lifestyles, and how we worship and us as a people, that we would be imitators of church leaders that God has placed for us in Christ, that we would be unified. But as Kyle also mentioned last week, just claiming our belief in this mission does not mean we're missional. Hear that this morning. Just claiming our belief in a mission does not mean we're missional. Just in the same way, me claiming I'm six foot four, as I always tried to do and be, is not going to make me six foot four. <coughs> it's just not possible. And the same way for the church to be living on mission, it's not living on mission just because it says it is. Both are very similar in the fact that it can't happen under our own power, and it doesn't happen just because we say so. And friends, this is because our belief isn't proven by our word but by the one we believe in. In the same way, the church today isn't united being on mission because they say they are, but by the one who unites us and the mission 
that unites us. But unfortunately, and we must discuss this as we talk about the church being on mission, is that it, this phrase, this heartbeat, the core of the Christian church, it has become so nuanced as the world has progressed in its relativism and its pragmatism and its anything-goes culture. So much so has the church began, begun to take on this way of thinking as it replaces mission with programs, book studies, ministries, clothing pantries, and food pantries. It's not to say these things aren't evil. It's not to say these things aren't bad, but it's not the chief mission of the church. So as we see these things, and if you're already thinking, well, like you said, those things aren't bad, and I would affirm they're not bad. It is a way and a venue for the church to be missional, but that is not the chief mission of the church. It's fitting my father's in the room this morning. We've gotten to go on a mission trip to Venezuela before, and I'll never forget we went to this trash dump that the community lived off of, guys. Not just went to to get clothing or anything like that, but they, they lived off of. Food, clothing, all their sustenance came from a, a trash dump. Even the kids would come and just to hide in the shadows of these water trucks that would be rolling by just to get a break from the sun. And they would even run through the, the water that would be being sprayed off these trash trucks on the trash just to keep it from setting on fire. And these kids would run through it like sprinklers. And, and, and you may imagine, you may be having this picture that they were really downtrodden, that they were sad as they were digging through the trash, but guys, they were digging through the trash with the biggest smiles. They were running through the water with the biggest smiles because they had the hope of the Lord. They were from the local village that we were getting to work with, the YU people. It's because they had the hope of the Lord. And it's an easy picture to call to mind, guys, as we get on the same page this morning and set terms that the church living on mission isn't just doing things or giving people stuff. It's taking to them the message that will take them from death to life, just like those kids were, just like that community was that had nothing. And we had somebody in our group that said, if, if only we could just get all these kids shoes to have, if only we could just find a way to get them money to have food, and I'll never forget the anger that welled up within me toward this person that simply just shouted in my body, you, j you just don't understand. They already have everything. They had more hope than kids in the suburbs of Alpharetta had because they had the hope of the Lord. And that didn't come from pantries and it didn't come from well wishes or thoughts and prayers. It came from intentional gospel mission. So what is the mission of the church I mentioned it already, but Matthew 28, 19 is our springboard. It's our foundation from which we do mission. It lets us know what our mission is. It's known as the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
So what do we take from that? What is the mission? The mission is to make disciples. That's it. Now hear me say again, programs, ministries, pantries, things that meet material needs aren't bad, but we should never, ever fall prey to confusing them that they can meet the spiritual need of people. They can be a pathway to which we can engage with somebody and share with them the one thing that will take them from death to life, that being the gospel, but they are not the end. That's not the means by which someone is saved. It's the grace of God that they hear through the gospel. So guys, we're called to make disciples, but one thing I want to get very, very clear for us is that we're called as the church to make disciples, not converts. We're called to make disciples and not converts. And we'll continue to unpack this this morning. Father, be with us. There's truth wrapped up in the scripture this morning that may poke and prod, but we give praise that your word is sharp enough and alive enough to sting us unto holiness. We ask for your guidance as we dissect your word and simply, again, want to see you magnified. That is what we need. In the same way, Lord, that the world needs your gospel, all the more do we need to be reminded of it with every breath, especially as we gather to worship you. So, Father, please be with us again as we come together and seek to learn what it means to be living on mission as the church. We love you, and we thank you for loving us. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. So, guys, let's not confuse it. This call to make disciples is not a simple one. It is difficult. Why? Because we are broken people taking perfect news to broken people. That doesn't always go over well. And one thing I love, Matt Chandler says pretty frequently, is that the Bible Belt South is probably one of the hardest places to do this. You may be wondering why. Well, guys, a lot of times when we're taking the gospel out into our lives, it's not as simple as how it may be in the Midwest. It's not as simple as how it may be to taking it to a people group overseas that may have never heard the gospel. There's a lot of extra legwork we may need to do on the front end of redefining the gospel for them. So guys, it's, it's a hard work. It is. That's why it's so important we have to have a right understanding of what needs to be our motivation as we seek to be missional. It's the one thing that's going to make us unified in this pursuit, but it's also the one thing that's going to keep us going. Now, on the front end, I want to say this. The, the race of the Christian life is long. It has its trials. It has its, its sufferings that we're told not to be surprised when they come on us. It has its losses. There's brothers and sisters that fall away. There's brothers and sisters that stop running, that fall out of ministry. So it's all the more important. We have to know what our motivating factor is. And that has to be enough to sustain us. And guys, we get this from the greatest commandment of the Lord. And this is what we'll see as we dive in here. 
in Matthew 22, 37 through 38. But as I was, as I was prepping, it, it became all the more real to me. If you know anything about me, if I've gotten to know you, my testimony begins in vacation Bible school where I was given a very weak gospel to believe in. One that all it told me was to admit, believe, and confess, and then go, and I wasn't going to hell. That was it. That was it. And then years later, 12 and 13, I realized I had no foundation in the Lord until he revealed himself to me. And the thing that called my mind back to this is, even in society, even in the church, and especially in Southern Baptists, we have taken what the world says is the golden rule. What is the golden rule we've heard before? If you've taught young children in here before, we've maybe even said it. What is our golden rule? Treat others as you would like to be treated, right? Don't do something to someone else if you wouldn't want it done to you. Treat others as you would like to be treated. But guys, do we know the golden rule for Christians? Matthew 22 Verse 37 through 38. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That's it. It can't get much more plain or more clear in Scripture. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, the words of Jesus here. When we skip this and we go straight to the mission of the church, this is when we begin to make converts, not disciples. Why is this? Because we're missing out on loving the thing that has set us free, the gospel. Especially today, guys, do not fall prone to the ideology that your chief end is to love people. Now stick with me here. That is part of your mission. But remember, we're not talking about the overall mission right now. We're talking about what motivates you to be missional. And now think with me. Stick with me here. If your chief end to seeing people go from death to life at the news of Christ, if your motivating factor in that is People, we already talked about it. What type of people are we going and witnessing to? Broken people. If broken people are what motivate us, what happens when we go and take a perfect gospel and a broken person denies it? We think our gospel is faulty. We think it wasn't enough to save. And instead of keeping the Lord where he belongs in the throne of our lives, we are placing a broken person. Now, what does this do in the long run? It leads to the blind leading the blind. Why do we wonder that so many churches have begun to replace the heartbeat of missions of pure evangelism with worship nights that look like concerts, with vacation Bible schools that look like sports retreats, with Bible studies that look like a therapy group. When we don't love the Lord supremely, folks, there's no way we can love others as we should. 
And that goes for us in here too. When we don't love God as we ought to, we'll never love others as we absolutely must. We talk about this a lot in our ministry pipeline here and that all we do is an overflow of our love for God. All we do is an overflow. We talk about it as an elder team for everyone who's not yet partnered with us. That's what we do and how we do it. It's an overflow. And I'll be honest with you guys. We don't love you guys first because if we did, we would be leading you unto ourselves. See, guys, this is, this is what happens. When we skip loving God above all, we make converts and not disciples. The definition of a convert is someone who changes their religious beliefs or practices. Guys, what is, what is so significant about that? What is significant about somebody changing their practices or behaviors? If there is no renewed heart, is that person going to heaven? If we go out on mission, the mission being to make disciples, yet all we're taking them is the best care that we can offer them, will they be changed? No. So what's the answer then? It's the golden rule of Christianity to love the Lord your God supremely. That's it. If you're wondering what the key is that unlocks certain things, if you're wondering what's going to strengthen you to go and make disciples, it's not loving that person first. It's loving God as you must so you can love that person as you have to to see them become a disciple. The definition of a disciple is something we can see from Galatians 2.20. It's not up there, but take it down so you can look at it later. The biblical definition of a disciple is someone who dies to self and is resurrected in Christ. And I don't know about you, but that is what the Lord is about making and not people who just offer him lip service. God is not interested in seeing people change how they act because what does God do? He doesn't care about their outward actions. If they are not aligned with him, he searches the heart. Guys, here's the greatest pitfall of this. When we seek to love the ones we're on mission for before we love the Lord as we have to, it matters because if we're not loving others from an overflow of how we love our God, then we're not making disciples who are alive in Christ. We're making converts who are dead in us. How scary of a thought is that? Consider this, the one that's coming to mind right now for you. If you are a believer in here, the one who is coming to mind for you is not a believer, who does not know the Lord. If the best you take and offer them is your care and affection, and that's their defense on judgment day, how scared do you think they will be before the throne of God? Guys, this isn't a scare tactic. I promise it's not. It is just biblical. It's not just intensity for intensity's sake. The way we preach, the way we live, the way we do what we do, the way we live life, the reason we're so intense about our community and our obedience to the Lord is because it's what saves souls.
until we love God in the way that we ought to, we will never love others as we must. But guys, it comes from an overflow. Do we understand that? We can't go love our neighbors as they need until we love them from an overflow of our God. Read with me in 22, 39 through, through 40. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now this is a theology sidebar here. Pay attention to that in verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. There is a culture stirring about in modern Christianity today that says Christ's love did away with the law. The law being popularized in the Old Testament. The covenant that was laid up in the Old Testament. That we're under the covenant of grace, which is true, brothers and sisters. But Christ's love did not do away with the law of the Old Testament. It fulfilled it. Friends, if he did away with the law, and that law is his love, then we don't abide in his love. We don't have that opportunity. Hear me say that again. If Christ's love did away with his law, which is his love, then we're not free in his love. We are still under works. And that is very important because all in all, this isn't a suggestion, guys. How we love people in this way, overflowing from how we love our God, it's, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Our primary love of God leads to our proper love as others. Why is this? Because we see others as God sees them. And how does God see his creation? As abiding with him or not? And here's the truth. Do we know which is which? No. We don't know the state of someone's salvation. We don't. At the end of the day, we don't. But God gives us parameters to see if someone is truly abiding in him. Let me ask a question. Are Christians called to judge? We are. But that judgment is of other believers. And it's called accountability. Consider this with me if you don't believe me. What is a loving thing to do for a brother or sister stuck in sin that is unrepentant? Hold them accountable. If Tyler Joyner, who I've known since I was three years old, was headstrong into sin, and the mental image that he has loaded up a car full of gas and is driving as fast as he can off a cliff, am I loving him by just shaking my head and saying, he knows better. He'll come around. Friends, he's driving off a cliff. Sin still kills the believer. Not in eternity, but in their usefulness to go and save souls. So yes, Christians are called to judge. That's accountability to one another. 
So I can go to Tyler and say, you do know better. We are to live on mission together. Remember who has saved you. Let's go and love our neighbors as Christ has loved us. Let's go save souls, relying on the Lord to do what he does in their salvation. We don't save them by praying a prayer with them. We save them by speaking the gospel into their lives. Hear me say that. By speaking the gospel, not just living it out. I want to go ahead and debunk that, guys. It is not enough to just put it on display for somebody. We've all heard this before. We've all heard that terrible, terrible quote. Live the gospel and preach it if you must. That has never been the model we've seen in Scripture, ever. Not from Christ, not from his disciples, not from our church founders, not from our church fathers. Is anybody saved unless they hear and understand the gospel? No. And if we're honest with ourselves, how many times has it worked out for us to sweep when nobody else is sweeping or wipe a window down when nobody else is wiping it down? Or my favorite one is hold the door open until everybody gets in. Who's going to stop you and ask you, wow, you're very generous. What drives you to hold the door open for me? (laughs) Nobody. Nobody. They don't care. It may appease their emotions. But guys, here's the truth of the matter. Non-believers, the world doesn't need our well wishes. Guys, they don't even need our sympathies. They don't need a hug. They don't need a pat on the back. They don't need us to come alongside and just relate to them. They need the gospel. That is what they need. They don't need a door holder. They don't need a handshaker. They don't need a daily encouragement from yourself. They need the daily encouragement of the gospel. If we're called to go and make disciples, not converts, what's the one thing that makes a disciple? The gospel. Romans 13.10 outlines this love in another way. It says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We see it again here that love doesn't do away with the law. It is the fulfilling of the law. That law that all of Christ's children are set free by his grace and saved by their repentance unto that grace. Guys, we have to take note of what Romans 13 is saying here, that love does no wrong to a neighbor. There's plenty of wrong we do to one another. Hear me? There's plenty of wrong. There's plenty of dishes I've left in the sink when I used to live with Tyler. There's some dishes I leave in the sink now as I live with my wife, Abby, right? There's plenty of wrong we do with one another. We may curse each other. We may not like each other. We're a family. That's what happens. None of us have transcended yet, and you won't, okay? There's plenty of wrong we do to one another, but when this says love does no wrong to a neighbor, and we consider the world to be our neighbor, we do great wrong to them if all that we take to them is our kindness and not the gospel. 
spiritually dead men and women don't need all these niceties. And this is a message to fellow pastors and churches who are even meeting now. They don't need self-help tips or a guide on how to live a better life now. They need the news that will lead them into freedom and to eternity. That is the gospel. Spiritually dead people need devoted disciples. And listen to this, please. Spiritually dead people need devoted disciples who love their God enough to live it and speak it. They need devoted disciples who love their God enough to live out the gospel and speak it. Because friends, we're not living the gospel unless we speak it. What good does it do when you get up to heaven and the account you give to the Lord, when he asks if you took his gospel seriously, if you took him seriously, if we took the fear of the Lord seriously, And guys, that fear of the Lord for us as believers is the same fear we would have for an obedient father here on earth that we love so much that we want to do right by and respect and follow his commandments and obey his word because we know it's for our good. It's not to keep us in our room. It's not to keep us from doing fun things. It's to keep us alive. What good is the account that's given to God when he asks us how we handled his gospel. (coughs) If all we can say is we lived it out as best we could. How much better would it be if you could fellowship alongside those who you spoke the gospel into their life? Friends, that is the type of disciple that the world needs. And this is the mark of a healthy disciple, that we would be willing to go out amongst wolves to accomplish this. Guys, hear me. Go out amongst wolves, the world, to accomplish this. Flip to Matthew 10, 16 through 18, or it'll be on the screen. As I said on the front end, this gospel is what sustains us, but it is not an easy race to run. It's just not. We are still broken. This world is still broken. The ones we are trying to reach are broken, but the one that mends is the spirit of the Lord through his gospel. Amen? Let's go. Well, Matthew 10, 16 through 18 makes it very clear the nature of this mission. It says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Sit and read that for a second. This is the nature in which God sends out his disciples. Do we understand that? I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Mind you, he does not say he's turning us over as sheep to the wolves, but we are certainly amongst them. Because guys, who, who are we ministering to? Who do we evangelize to? It's not to other sheep. It's to wolves. 
that we would see them become sheep by the grace of God. He's sending us out amongst wolves, so be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men. Pay attention. (coughs) Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. And why? Why? Why would they be dragged before governors and kings? What did Paul do when he was on trial for his life? What do our brothers and sisters do in the Middle East whose heads are taken for this gospel? What is the church in China doing right now as it's forced underground? And what do their pastors do when they're taken before their government? To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Pay attention, please. A disciple of Christ is not sent out into the world to make the world like them. You're not sent out to find this newest pair of blowout knee jeans and get on a stage in front of thousands to say some things people can relate to. You're not sent out in the world to take two years to establish a friendship so you can mention the gospel in passing over coffee. Disciples of God aren't sent out into the world to have the world like them. Who's our example of Christianity? Christ. Did the world like Christ? Did the world like his disciples? They were all martyred for this truth. Consider how upside down the Christianity is that we can see in the U.S. today. God didn't make you a disciple to post a highlight-riddled Bible and get 300-plus likes. God didn't make you a disciple so that you would eat up Bible study after Bible study and self-help book after self-help book and not his scripture. What's our defense against the wolves we go out to? Is it, is it a weak foundation that's telling us you're enough God saw the stars in the mountains and thought the world needed one of you because guys if that's what you think if that is what your understanding is of the gospel it's my joy to burst your bubble is that God did not look at the world and thought it needed one of you it looked at the world and saw it needed his son so he saved you to take that news to the world Not a Pinterest post, not an Instagram caption, but real conversations with people where we have the courage on the foundation of the authority of God to ask them, where do you stand with the Lord? Where will you spend your eternity? Guys, in the same way, if all we take to make a disciple in the world is our care and affection and not Christ's. We're making converts, not disciples. In the same way, guys, if we are not abiding as disciples supremely in the love and commandments of the Lord, we're not functioning as disciples. We're walking around as converts. We change our behaviors here and there we go to some places sometimes, 
We don't do things other times because we know we shouldn't. But consider this. If we face this same persecution, and let's have a really honest heart and gut check, as I did in prepping this. If we face the same persecution, and if I told you that tomorrow you would be sent out as you already are in the midst of wolves, and they would deliver you over to the U.S. government and flog you for what you said you believed, and dragged you before the governors and kings and the leaders of this world, would you bear witness? Stick with me. Don't just offer a head response. Would you love your Lord enough to have known him enough to have enough of him to bear witness? Or are you getting by on Instagram captions from popular Christian leaders? Would we have enough of a foundation to bear witness? See, the thing about the disciples is they took this gospel seriously. They took the entirety of this word seriously so that when they found themselves in chains, when they found themselves before the leaders of the world, they certainly had enough to bear witness. Paul, when he was in chains in a Roman jail, certainly had enough to preach the gospel so fervently it shook the prison and saved the jailer. Do we confuse that they just had it easier then? Do we? I used to fall so prone to this as a young Christian. I used to think, man, if only I could have walked with the Lord like all my favorite disciples did. If only I could have just hung out with Paul. I could have just shadowed Timothy even. I, if, only I was, if, if only I was with them. The Christians of the Old Testament had such an extreme faith because they were waiting on their Messiah. Do we hear that? The reason they were so devoted, the people group that God set aside from Abraham ate what they ate, lived how they lived, slept how they slept, worshiped how they worshiped, down to the T, wasn't because they were under grace yet. They would be delivered by grace. They were under the law, and by golly, they were going to fulfill it. And they did to the utmost, and they certainly fell short. But what did they do then? They offered their best. Friend, brother, and sister, we are not waiting on the coming of a Messiah. He has come and he was risen, and he has raised you up if you are in relationship with him. We have it much easier by that standard. Why? We're not waiting on the Messiah. His spirit is abiding in our bones. Our ever-present help is shut up in our body at all times. So for the one that's hearing me and thinking, well, Bailey, I just wouldn't know where to start. How can I do this? I can't imagine myself being able to be so bold in the gospel. I haven't known this person for that long. I don't know enough scripture. I don't know enough about my God. What's the answer to that? What would you like for me to offer to you? What would I offer to our guys and girls in the ministry pipeline if they came to us as elders and said, I'm just not confident enough. I just don't know enough yet. I, I'm just not uh, I'm, I'm, I just don't know. I wouldn't know where to start. Would I just pat them on the back and say, they're there. We'll get there one day. No, I wouldn't because there's people dying that don't know the Lord. If you want to equip yourself, if you want to know enough, if you want to be in a place where you can proclaim the gospel so boldly, take a look at Matthew 10, 19 through 20. 
where it says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your Father speaking through you. Do your words ever save anybody? Absolutely not. What does? The gospel, the spirit of the Lord. So if you are a young Christian in here, let me encourage you. Do you have the gospel available? On average, statistics show that American households own 11 Bibles. 11. And yet we wonder where our answers are. Come on, guys. I had to say this to myself. I I said, are you kidding me, Bailey? You're still so hesitant about going and evangelizing to that person because you feel like you don't know enough? Get off your hands and read the Bible, Bailey. Throw yourself before the Lord. Ask him to give you wisdom. We're not helpless in this, guys. We have it even better than disciples because we have computers in our hands and in our pockets that if we don't know an answer, it's not just, well, I'll go back and research and get back to you in two weeks. It's sit here with me now. Let's find it out together. How much more powerful would that be if you were evangelizing to somebody and they asked a hard-hitting question and instead of wavering in your confidence in your God, you held true that he has given the answer and it's sitting in your pocket. Let's sit here together and research it. Amen? Wouldn't that do so much better for that person's soul sitting across from you instead of wavering? Does God give us a spirit of fear and timidity? He's made us what? More than conquerors. And that's not just in your day-to-day, folks. That's not just me and my depression. That is still crippling sometimes. This week it was. You can ask my wife. It was still a thorn in Paul's side. There were still hard times. Remember, all the, all the disciples were still martyred. But what was their standard of living? What was their goodness? What did they know their goodness to be? It was their Lord. They could go and proclaim the gospel and be killed and rejoice. I'll never forget when ISIS was taking their area by storm and there was a video of 15 Christian brothers and sisters who were knelt in the sand, bags on their heads. And we wonder, and people wonder in this area why we're so intense about this. It's because brothers and sisters are spilling their blood, guys. And what was their reaction as they could hear the one next to them being killed? It was singing songs of praise. What's holding us back in the States? Fear? Selfishness? What is it ultimately? It's not having confidence that our God is who he says he is. What's on the forefront of the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. What do you have to fear? Really, what do you have to fear really? Nothing. That's the true message of being more than a conqueror, is knowing that your Savior has conquered death. Amen? That your Savior has conquered death, even, even if you die, guess what? 
You've already died the death that matters to yourself. What does the second one do? Take you home. Our brothers and sisters know that overseas. Guys, we may never even come close to tasting this type of persecution. I don't think we will. But like I said, our brothers and sisters certainly have, and they certainly do, specifically in China. And I want to share this with you as we wrap up here because it, man, it lit a fire under me. And I, and I hope it does the same for you. There's a church in China known as Early Rain Covenant Church. It's one of the most popular house churches over there. Bible preaching, believing people that meet underground and proclaim the goodness of God. China, just at the end of last year, raided it and arrested 100 of its members, including its pastor, Wang Yi. And this is a pastor, this is a man that stands on the authority of scripture and his people do too. That's why they raided it. And see, if you don't know this about China, if you look it up, Christianity is not illegal in China as long as it's not causing people to believe in Christianity above communist China. What does Christianity do at its core? True Christianity causes us to submit to the Lord above all. Liam Shi, a professor at Duke University, had this to say about the increased restrictions that happened at the end of last year and carried over earlier into earlier this year. He said, the government has orchestrated a campaign to sinicize Christianity, to turn Christianity into a fully domesticated religion that would do the bidding of the party, that party being communist China. Listen to that again orchestrated a campaign to sinicize and turn Christianity into a fully domesticated religion. This means house church isn't the only, that means the early reign covenant church isn't the only one being attacked. Other house churches are raided. One right down the road in China, a group of 1,500 were arrested for refusing to submit to communist China above their Lord, 1,500. And, and by the way, the pastor Wang Yi, I mentioned, facing a life sentence. And not just him, folks, his wife and his kids. This means churches are no longer being allowed autonomy and they must submit to the Chinese Communist Party as their supreme authority above Jesus and tailor their church functions appropriately now, what does that mean? It means hymns are replaced with national anthems and other state pledges. It means Bibles are no longer being sold online and are being taken up by the CCP, the Communist Party of China. And guys, not just taken up, but taken up to rewrite scripture. Did you hear that? Bibles in China taken up and being stopped, stopped being sold so they could rewrite scripture to find commonalities with socialism and Chinese culture. And the professor at Duke University said this, and this verbiage stuck with me. He said all of this not to subdue Christianity, to domesticate it, because the growth of Christianity in China, as he put it, was blistering. Have you heard a more beautiful depiction 
of the growth of an underground church to be described as blistering. It's, it's causing blows to the Chinese government. It's blistering. It's spreading. It made me remember when I got some poisoning on my honeymoon. It was blistering. It hurt. Christianity is so strong in China, so blistering, that the leaders in China are wondering what in the world is going on with these Christians that aren't coming to our rallies anymore, that aren't singing our national anthem anymore and said they're on their knees in prayer. What is going on? What can we do? Let's domesticate Christianity in China. Do we see some of the things that they're doing and are they happening from the U.S. government? No, they're not. Do we want to know what's more terrifying for Christianity in the U.S.? It's not the government that's domesticating the mission of the church or the meaning of the church or the savior of the church. It's those that would claim to be the church. Instead of coming together, as we get to today, people our age are going into house churches just because it appeals more to the emotion. Is there any real need for us to be moving into house churches right now? In the States, we have a rich opportunity to gather together in something that's close to the tabernacle. Every single week, we can come together. Even though it's just a building, man, we fill it up with love and affection for our God and one another. Yet we have peers moving into house churches just because it feels better. Government's not the one telling us to have 4th of July themed Sundays. They're not the ones telling us to open our worship services, some this morning with a Carrie Underwood song or an Imagine Dragons song or do a, a summer series of church at the movies where we sing, you've got a friend in me. Friends, we have a friend in Christ as we sing. And he has certainly not saved us or set us up in a state where we domesticate our own religion. What is our God described as in scripture? A roaring lion. So why do we yawn at him? Our God is roaring lion. Why do we portray him as a kitten? Why do we Tremble in fear at our classmates out of fear of what they might think. Our God is a lion. Meanwhile, there's an enemy that is on the hunt to seek, kill, and destroy. So friends, what is the mission of the church to make disciples? What is our proper motivation? To love our God. Amen? To love our God. And how can we love our God? What makes it so sweet to love our God? The best news I'll remind everyone in here right now, because he first loved you. Amen. And not just in a nicety type of way, not just in a, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. I'm so sorry that the nation hates you. Follow my example. I'll make them like me, I promise. That's not what Messiah Christ said. He said, follow me unto death, and his disciples did. What's so sweet about loving God is he loved us unto himself. 
Matthew Henry is a theologian and a Puritan I respect so, so much. He had this quote to say. Man is a creature cut out for love. Thus, therefore, is the law written in the heart. That is a law of love. Love is a short and sweet word, and if that be the fulfilling of the law, surely the yoke of the command is very easy. Love is the rest and satisfaction of the soul. If we walk in this good old way, we shall find rest. So what's my encouragement to the Christian in here that's heavy laden and tired? Love your God. It's who you were cut out to be. It's the law of God written in this word and on your heart as a son and daughter of his great name. It's your joy and your satisfaction and your rest to love your God. That is the making of a disciple and also how we go and make disciples. That we would see others love our God. Not love us, not love what we do for them, but love our God who sent us. Friends, this doesn't mean you take everything I've said and you go and throw this at people's faces. This is a scalpel that cuts to the heart, not a sledgehammer to beat people over the head with. Please treat it as such. Somebody did the same for you one day. Somebody presented the gospel to you after establishing trust and a relationship to be able to speak into your life. And when the time came, they spoke. I want to leave you with this. This Pastor Wang Yi's response to his arrest and the persecution of the church. He says, as a pastor, my faith in the gospel, in the teachings of the people, and the blame for all sin are out of Christ's command and the gospel. Out of the immeasurable love of the glory king. Listen to this. Everyone's life is so short. And God is so eager to command the church to lead and call anyone who is willing to repent, to repent. Christ is so urgent and willing to forgive all who turn from sin. This is the purpose of all the work of the church in China. It is, the, it is to witness Christ to the world, to witness the kingdom of heaven to China, and to witness the eternal life of heaven to the short life on earth. Guys, a man in chains facing life in prison and his wife and children are at risk. And this is his response. Christ is so urgent and willing to forgive all who turn from sin. This is the purpose of all the work of the church in China. And guys, not just the church in China, but the church of Christ. For us today, the encouragement we take, if any of this is hurt to hear, if any of this has stung, remember my prayer, it's a blessing that this word is sharp enough to cut us and heal us unto obedience. 
So if any of this has hurt, I'm sorry, but it has been out of love. And my plea to you is repent, take up your weapons, and let's carry on in the march of the gospel because it is not in vain. As we said on the beginning, our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. And yes, that includes our brother and sisters who lose their life. Why? Because they are home. They are home. So let's get up off our hands, Branch Church, Milledgeville. If you are a college student in here, there is no other foundation to do this work outside the local church. Not Young Life, not Wesley, not BCM, not FAM. No other one except the Bride of Christ. No college house church, no small group, no Bible study. The Bride of Christ Why take a knife into a fight against hell instead of the ever-vanquishing spirit of your Savior? We would never do that. So it's my plea, if you're a college student, plug in with us. I have full confidence in our leadership team. I have full confidence in our ministry pipeline that you'll be loved as you ought to. Plug in with us, man. Let's be serious about the gospel. We know we're not for everyone. If you're listening to this and you're like, tune me out. And you're like, man, he's just too intense. I'm sorry, but I have to be. We have to be. All of us who take our faith seriously have to be. As Pastor Wong Yi said, life is so short. What's the encouragement, brothers and sisters? Christ is all the more eager to save those who would repent. All the more so, he's even eager to give them the spirit of repentance and save them to himself. If you're not encouraged by this, remember he did it for you. Where would you be if he hadn't? Reflect. And then let's get up. Let's take up arms. Let's take this seriously. Let's have proper perspective of the gospel. As we answer the question, guys, what is our motivation for mission as a church? Is it to fill these chairs? Absolutely not. Is it for you guys to like us? No, we want you to love us as you love our Lord. Is it so that we can get all the likes, so we can get social engagement, so that we can be acceptable? No way. We know the example of our Savior, and he laid down his life. The world hated him. It spit on him. It mocked him. And we know the gospel call is that we are out amongst wolves, guys. So what are you arming yourself with as they poke and prod and bite and nip at you? What are you arming yourself with? I want to leave you with this prodding question that always gets me. The person that you're closest to in your life the disciple you're making, right, or your hypothetical disciple, if they did everything you did, that's the call of a disciple. That's what Christ said to his disciples, imitate me. If they imitated you and how you lived, how you ate, watched, prayed, what you listened to, what you pray, would they be an obedient disciple? Don't answer it. Write it down and answer it later. If somebody you discipled imitated everything you did, would they love the Lord above everything? Would they? Amen that we have grace. Because guys, here's the truth. We're sent out amongst wolves. 
We're sent out to make disciples. But we mention it. What do we have to fear? What? All authority, all authority has been given to God on heaven and where? In earth. This is not the world of the United States. It's not the world of China. This is not the world of your beliefs or the world's beliefs. It is God's world. He's the one who sets the standard. He has set you up on a firm foundation. Who is the captain of your life? It is our prayer that it would be Christ, friends. What is our greatest motivation as we go live on mission? It's to love your God by the love of your God. Again, if this is stung, know it is out of love. It is your greatest good to be stung every once in a while. I'm not doing this for shock, jock, and all. If I wanted to do that, we would fundraise enough money to get a car in here and sit in the back and give some weak illustration about how you can open up your life like the convertible opens up its hood. It's stupid. That does no good for your life. Instead, I'll offer you this. If you don't know Christ, he is so eager for you to know him. That is what will take you from feeling dead because you are to life because he makes you alive. If you are wondering if this work of the gospel is worth it or not, it is. We already have the victory. That's what Christ was talking about when he said it is finished. You know that thing that got really, really popular a couple years ago, Tetelestai? He wasn't just talking about the work of the cross. He was talking about our eternal victory of his children. What do we have to fear? What's our biggest motivating factor, guys? Do we really want to see dead souls come to life? Let's be zealous about the gospel. Let's be a people who love one another by the gospel to the gospel. Why? Because it is a law of love and Christ has fulfilled it so we may abide. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for this truth that you give us and not just give us to have or to read but set our feet up on as a firm foundation. God, thank you that you don't leave us alone. You sent your spirit to be our ever present help that leads us as we go amongst wolves. And God, we pray and ask for the one in here who maybe has understood the gospel for the first time, that they wouldn't just hear that you are eager to save them, but you are eager to give them a spirit of repentance that they would place not just their hope, not just their trust, but their life in your hands. For the brother or sister in here, God, I pray that although it may have stung, that your spirit would comfort just as quickly as it convicts. That we would take you seriously, that we would make disciples. That we would go out from here and be so encouraged that our love for you overflows into every area of our life. And we know that all of this happens by your spirit and by your power. So that is what we ask for. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.